Welcome to Invest in Women, the podcast series. Your insight into the growing wealth of women and the issues that impact their business and yours. See what happens when you educate, empower, and invest in women. Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the Invest in Women podcast series and to advocate on the industry's behalf to attract new, diverse talent. Schwab Advisor Services is passionate about supporting independent registered investment advisors with the insights and strategies needed to grow their business. Explore your path to independence at advisorservices.schwab.com. Susan Theater, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Now, I feel like I have to have some kind of trophy or certificate because Susan has won so many of the year awards, right? Woman of the year, (laughs) CMO of the year. Like you probably have a whole room dedicated to all these awards that you've won. Definitely do not. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. But the reason, the reason I bring that up is not to embarrass you, but to say that when you started out your career, did you see this path? Did you see the accolades for what you've been awarded for? And no, what did you think when you got into this career? Never. I mean, I didn't even have my sight set on a marketing career. I was a history major with a French minor and I went With that, I went to Wall Street and was in a corporate training program at Manufacturers Hanover, which is a bank that probably anybody younger than me doesn't know of. And long story short, I actually, from there, I became a financial advisor because I had done an internship at Dean Witter during college and it interested me. And so I went back and got my series seven and I was a financial advisor at a wirehouse at Dean Witter for two years. And then at a bank brokerage program for two years. And I found that what I liked most about being a financial advisor was the marketing aspect. And Mm -hmm. I was an early adopter of a CRM system and niche marketing. And I hadn't really, I didn't even know what those things were. I hadn't studied marketing. And so I networked my way into Fidelity, which was, and still is an amazing marketing organization and started my career in marketing and started on the retail side. But then really, I think what I should be so grateful for is I moved over to the institutional side on the RAA custody side of the business and the NFS, the brokerage side. And that's launched a very long and awesome career in this industry where I've gotten to work with financial advisors from both the clearing and custody side, as as well as with the large broker dealers. And it's just been more rewarding than I can ever say. And the awards aren't what really matters. It's the friends and connections and going to some of these award events. It's just, it's like a reunion. I feel very blessed. Well, I wish that you could see her face because she, you lit up the more you described as your career went on, the more you lit up and you could tell. And I think that a passion for what you do obviously brings rewards and awards. And so I absolutely agree that to be awarded for this is not the point. It's the fact that your joy in this journey is what is bringing these awards to you. So, you know, I speak to a lot of women on this podcast who talk about how their careers just kind of happened. Like they didn't have this plan, this linear vision, this focus. Do you think it's because does this industry not recruit women or is it just something that women are not introduced to until later? You know, I or I, neither I thought, or neither. Ne- I'd say neither. I have college age. I have a freshman and a sophomore in college. And you know, when they're applying to college, 
their essays really are designed for them to write exactly what they want to major in because they know exactly what they want to do. And frankly, I don't really think any 18 year old knows what they want to do. And as I just described my career, it took multiple turns. And I think everybody discovers what they want to do as a result of what they did last. And everything is just a learning experience as we decide our passions kind of steer us in the directions that I think we're meant to go. And I always say that I think we're all best at what we love to do. And for anybody that knows that when they're 18 and discovers it in their first job, great. But I think for most of us, we love some things about our first and second job and we just gravitate towards a role that encompasses as much much as possible of the things that we love. So I think it's just, I think it's unrealistic to say that people just have a career path in mind and start it from, you know, the first day they graduate. I think it, it comes from your job experience and your exposure to different opportunities and kind of crafting your own career once you're in it. And that's sort of the, as it happens or, but -hmm. I think that's very natural. It has to be a bit more organic. I think it's hard to say that you can just plan it out. Obviously, I think we have an opportunity to make sure that we're involved in the next generation. But I do think with the College for Financial Planning and all of the, the all of the work that we're doing to educate college students about financial planning and and the financial planning as a career path. I mean, I think we're going in the right direction. Obviously, there's some more and more work to be done, but um, mm-hmm. it feels like the it feels like we're going in the right direction. Yeah. Now, I love the fact that you were a financial advisor before you thrived in the the marketing arena. How has that financial advisor experience helped you with what you're doing now? Gosh, immensely. It's always, I think, when you can say you've walked in your customer's shoes, you are far more equipped to develop programs and products and support that is most meaningful to them. I feel like I I have a good pulse on what keeps them up at night, what interests them most, how to help them. And that's really where I've steered. My career has actually really evolved as I now am at FMG, which is exclusively focused on helping advisors market. That's where I get my greatest joy is in helping advisors be more successful by leveraging marketing. And fortunately, it seems to be something that is more and more of interest to advisors. I think it's one of their top concerns and top opportunities where they want to learn more. So having been one, everything from being able to think of the content that they would want to send to a client and the tone that works most effectively to, you know, just given their resources and the typical setup of a of an advisor's business, how can we make it as easy as possible for them to be effective? So it's really just having been in a customer's shoes makes you way more likely to be able to solve their problems in a way that is impactful to them. Right. Well, is there a unique a challenge or even benefit to being a female financial advisor and the clients you've worked with that are women? I do think there's a unique advantage. I actually work with a woman financial advisor myself. You know, we may be a little bit biased as women, so I don't want to say there's anything wrong with working with a male advisor, but if we're stereotyping, I think women tend to be more empathetic and have higher EQ. And as the, I think as our industry evolves, investment management is becoming more and more of a commodity 
And it's the relationship aspects of being a financial advisor that are having the greatest correlation to, I think, the advisors who are most successful. It's understanding the entire family, demonstrating that you care and that you want to be there for them. And women are naturally well-suited for that. Certainly men can do it too, but I do think that the capacity to play sort of a nurturing, caring, someone that's really looking out for the best interests of somebody's family is what is propelling the advisors who are growing the most quickly forward. It's not investment management or performance. Is that something that's surprising to financial advisors who have to learn a different tactic when it comes to marketing themselves? Yeah, I think so. I mean, a lot of it is really building a personal brand and a lot of them aren't very comfortable with that. And social media is becoming a must do, not a nice to have. And, you know, I mean, what worked 20 years ago doesn't work anymore. It's not going to the golf course and having a guy's day out. It's far more of creating a personal brand, being very authentic and being comfortable with being vulnerable and showing who you are because people are choosing you as a person, not really the firm name. I mean, Mm -hmm. if they don't click with the person and feel that it's a trustworthy, likable, respected person, they're not going to choose them. And the way they come off digitally now is critical because everybody is Googling and going to a website and possibly checking out a LinkedIn profile before they'll ever set up an appointment. And that means that they're also comparing your digital profile and and body language to other advisors that they may be considering. And so how you show up online and how often you show up online really will make a difference. Mm -hmm. Well, we have a lot of women advisors as well as women clients that listen to the podcast. And when you mentioned in particular earlier, and we'll get to the body, I'm fascinated by the body language you mentioned online, but you mentioned also networking and how you have benefited from that. And that's something that you love to do. Is that something that, or are there any tips that you have for some female advisors that may need a leg up in networking with others in order to grow their business? Yeah. I mean, I think LinkedIn is the easiest way to do it. I kind of, I describe it as a virtual conference. You know, if you go to a conference, there is a part of you that's, that gets into the mindset. Okay. This is going to be uncomfortable, but I'm going to go introduce myself to Mary over there. I've heard of her. I think she'd be good to know. And I'm going to go to this session because I want to hear from the speaker and I'm going to introduce myself. And we step out of our comfort zone and we're used to that. And it's no different on LinkedIn, except it's actually much easier because you don't have to actually extend your hand. So thinking about any either segment or individual that you want to network with, just connect with them on LinkedIn. And the easiest way to get to know them is to comment on their posts. And for anybody that has posted, we all know that we look at every single like, we we know who liked it <laughs> and engaged, and we really know and recognize when somebody took the time to comment. And especially if the comment is more than just nice post or congratulations. So for those people that you are looking to network with, follow them on LinkedIn, send them a connection request, watch out for them posting in your notifications and comment on their posts in a meaningful, thoughtful way. And you will actually 
have a relationship so quickly without having ever met them. I mean, it's amazing how many people I've met in person and I actually had never met them in person, but when we meet each other, we feel like we've known each other for years and it's only because of social media. So I think taking advantage of that and Samantha Russell, my partner recommends a strategy for every post you do to comment on five others. So, and I would, I I take it to another, an easier attainable goal, which is just have a goal to comment on at least five people's posts a week. And they could be centers of influence in your community, whether it be attorneys or CPAs. And the downside is not everybody you want to connect with is active on LinkedIn, but they're going to be a subset and you can use the filtering capabilities. If you're, if you're somewhat networked into a particular company or organization, or again, with centers of influence in your community or reporters even. So just have a strategy and force yourself to essentially virtually introduce yourself by commenting on their posts online and adding connections to your network on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably the easiest way to do it. I'm trying to think myself if I've commented on besides the congratulations or thank you or happy birthday or whatever it is, but you're right. It does bring a unique alert to the person who posted it. Now, when you said about body language and everything on social media and and elsewhere, I'm curious about that. What are the don'ts for advisors when it comes to social media? What mistakes have you seen them make that may be an innocent mistake, but it's something that definitely makes an, an impression or negative impression upon a client or potential client? I'd say I don't see a lot of negative. I just see missed opportunity and upside. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of advisors will, you know, most of us are really not that comfortable posting. It feels like we're exposing ourselves and being self-congratulatory and it's a little awkward. Not all of us are big extroverts. I'm certainly not. So I'll see advisors post an article that they read and just say, interesting article or something like, check out this article. Or let's say they were quoted in it, which right. is a great opportunity for them and they'll just say, check out this article. Thank you, Bob, for writing about me or something. And instead, thinking about who you are writing the post for first is really critical. And not everybody stops to think about that. They think about what they're posting and they come up with some description. But what you really need to do is say, who is my target audience on whatever social platform I'm on? So if it's LinkedIn, who am I speaking to? Am I, do I, with this post, do I want to speak to my centers of influence? Do I want to speak to prospective clients? Do I want to speak to my existing clients? Do I want to speak to other advisors? Whatever it might be. And then think about what would they value in this post? What about this post would be interesting to them? And then try to write a hook. I mean, that first sentence in your post should be a question or some clever hook, which I know sounds hard to do, but it shouldn't just be check it out. And then what we're finding is that writing a little executive summary. So if you're writing, if you're posting an article, write the high points of it. So somebody can just scan that. We're all pretty ADD. So we're finding that people get a lot more engagement when they outline the bullets of what they think this audience would benefit from. So let's say it's an article on the new contribution limits. Instead of saying, check out the new contribution limits in this article, think about the audience. So 
for retirees who are interested, for people approaching retirement, looking to save as much as possible, here's some great news. Contribution limits have increased across the following bullet, bullet, bullet. For more details, click here. Thanks, Bob and Publication X for this great coverage. That pulls people in and naturally creates more engagement because a lot of people just aren't going to click and read the article. And they want you to, if we're, we all relate when something is written for us. So sometimes if I'm posting and I, my audience is that I want to engage with this financial advisors, I'll even say in the first sentence, financial advisors, I've got a tip for you. Just so people see themselves in that post. Mm-hmm. Well, so you're taking a little bit of the work away from the Exactly. From the follower. And so I appreciate that, right? Yes. Instead of you saying, oh, we'll click here and then it was putting more work on exactly. my show in my it's lab. It's all about removing the friction, <laughs> making it easy, but really just putting yourself in the shoes of the person that you want to read this and making sure that you're calling out why they would want to read it and giving them that information right up front. Um, mm-hmm. Content marketing is the most effective way for advisors to grow their business and the way to stay top of mind with prospects and clients and to showcase their expertise, but also their passions. And I think another tip that I would say advisors don't feel as comfortable doing that they should is sharing some aspects of their personal life on social media, even on LinkedIn. I mean, it shouldn't be every post, but the posts with the most engagement are always something that relates to your family or something that's a personal passion. So imagine painting a picture of your whole self. Again, you're creating a a personal brand and it needs to encompass both your business and work interests, your intellectual interests, your passions, community service, as well as your family is a huge piece of your life as well. And people want to see aspects of that even though they're choosing you to manage their money, they want to like and and sort of see you as a human and that helps humanize them. Well, and passion is contagious. And if you do this big description of an article that you wrote, then it's, I would think, oh, you're excited about it. Let me see what you're excited about. And the same with our conversation with Susan, because Susan Theater, we are out of time, unfortunately, but you can tell your passion with marketing, because just this podcast, you've I've already got like <laughs> several things I've written down to check off to make sure I'm doing correctly. Oh, so good. Susan, thank you again. Congratulations for all the accolades because they're very deserving. And thank you for being part of our show. Thank you so much. It was really nice to see you. And I hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening to Invest in Women, the podcast series your insight into the growing wealth of women and how to attract and retain your female clients and help scale your practice. Learn more by subscribing to this podcast or visiting fa-mag.com.